Well, open your Bible to Genesis 1. There were a few people that knew that I was uh, preaching or knew that Andy was gone and asked me if I was going to just continue the study in Job. Don't tell Andy of this, but I thought about it. Um, I will, we will refer to Job, but no, we're not going to continue the study. Lord willing, Andy will pick up next week where we left off in Job. But this morning, we are going to look at the book of Genesis, the first few verses, actually uh, the first chapter of the book of Genesis. Robert, uh, Robert Fulgham, in 1986, wrote a, or compiled a collection of essays of which he's had uh, many shorter essays in this compilation. And one of the, the, the namesake of, this, of uh, this compilation, this collection, was the first essay with, titled, All I Really Need to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. And so he may have overstated that. He may have, uh, I mean, overestimated the challenges of life and and overemphasized the nature of man. But one of the things that he did, he, there were 16 truths or 16 lessons that he pointed out that uh, we learned uh, younger. One was share, share everything, play fair, don't hit people, clean up your room or clean up after your mess. You know, things like that. The last one was or, take a nap. <laughs> Truth be told, uh, in kindergarten, that was the one area that in, in, on our grade report, we only had two letters, S and U, satisfactory and unsatisfactory. Taking a nap was the only place on the card that I got the U. It was unsatisfactory. But let me just encourage parents out there that have young ones that maybe they're not learning everything in kindergarten or first grade. Trust me, I'm phenomenal at test- taking a nap now. So it does... It does get better. But those, those are some things that he said, listen, these are important things, things that we learn early on that will be useful for life. He actually made a quote, though, in that, which brings me to the conclusion, I think he just overemphasized the nature of man. He said, you may never have proof of your importance, but you are more important than you think. Well, one thing is for sure, because we're created in the, in the image of God, we are absolutely important. But it's not about us. God is more important than we think. And in Genesis 1, I've, I've been astounded by the truths in this chapter, right off the bat as we open up the Scripture. The truths that Genesis 1 teaches us about God. Listen, if we were to just embrace that and believe it and live it, that, the, those truths are the most important things in life. The truths of what, the truths of God and who he is and what he does, by God's grace, if the Lord would be gracious to us and remind us of those truths, they will serve us the rest of our life into eternity. I've mentioned this before, but A.W. Tozer said the most important thing about us the most important thing about you is what you think about God. We don't often think of that. You know, we introduce ourselves by so many other ways. Where we live, what we do, our family. But what we think about God is what, as believers, we should be consumed with. And Genesis 1 is a perfect, incredible place to start. The focus of this chapter, the whole focus of the book is all about God. And not only is it helpful for, for enhancing our doctrine of God and our theology of God, it's also helpful in the counseling room. 
It's also helpful for us as we go through trials and struggles and challenges in life. I'm going to mention Job a couple of times because we are saturated right now as a church body. We are saturated with Job and and how God's working in him. But one of the things that we'll see even this morning, and we'll soon, Lord willing, see as Andy preaches through Job, is at the end of the book, God just reminds Job of who he is. And it's absolutely essential for Job to have a a right understanding of, of life is for him to think bigger, think more thoughts, think deeper thoughts of God. Martin Luther was a hero of the Reformation, and one of his uh, debating partners was Erasmus. And Erasmus was seen in, as a very scholarly, extremely knowledgeable, knowledgeable man. One of the things that Martin Luther emphasized was the sovereignty of God and how God, uh, God is relevant in every aspect of our life. So Erasmus, would, would, they would go back and forth, and, and Luther said of Erasmus, during a heated exchange on, on whether or not God was relevant in the small details of life, Luther accused Erasmus of having a low view of God. And he says, in regard to the fact that God doesn't matter in the small details, he says, you are wrong in condemning as unprofitable the public discussion of the proposition that God is in the hole or the sewer, Luther said of Erasmus, your thoughts about God are all too human. Well, what Luther said of Erasmus, I wonder if often that is our challenge as well, it's our, is that we think too low a view or thoughts about God. We just have a too low view of God. And so Moses under the inspiration of God, gave us, he wrote Genesis through Deuteronomy. And so from the very beginning in Genesis 1, we see a truth about God. We actually, Genesis 1, we see, we'll see seven distinct truths about God. I think that was helpful for us. And we will realize that when we are most satisfied and saturated with God, that's when we're most healthy. And most joyful. So, how would you summarize God? If you, if you had, if you were walking and, and uh, maybe it was your, uh, out in the street or in your neighborhood or maybe at your, at your workplace and, and someone knows that you go to church and, and, you, and but they're curious about God and they ask you what, can you tell me about God? Where would you start? Where would you begin? Well, Lord willing, after this morning, if, if, if you're thinking like I'm often thinking, wow, where do I even begin? Lord willing, we'll see that Genesis 1 is a great place to begin. So let's, let's, start, let's look at Genesis 1. Thomas already read it, but let me just focus on the first few, verse, uh, first few words, first four words of Genesis 1. In the beginning, God. Those four words are monumental and they are a challenge for many people in our culture today to embrace and to believe. And so those first words tell us the first thing I want to share today from God's Word is that God, it, God exists. Let's start there. The fact that our God exists. This verse gives, really, when we see these first four words, it should humble us. 
and give us clarity in that there is God. God has always existed. We have not. And consider this, that God comes first in everything. God is not dependent on us. Therefore, God does not need us. When we think about God, he's self-sufficient. He is complete in himself. Just meditating on those first four words, in the beginning, God. He's self-existent. He exists by his own power. Just meditate on that for a moment. And it was this truth, when we think of God, it was this truth that was, was very helpful for Moses. Now you remember Moses. The very beginning, he was just in the fields. In Genesis, I mean, I'm sorry, in Exodus chapter 3, he's confronted with God in the burning bush. And God is speaking to Moses. And one of the things that you know, Moses has realized is God is going to use him to bring out the Israelites from Egypt. And, and Moses is, is wrestling with this. And so in, in Exodus 3, Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and I say to Israel, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? Moses says, what shall I tell them? Much like what I just asked at the very beginning, if someone asked you who God is, what would you say? And so Moses here, right before a, a, a task that God is unfolding before him, Moses says, God, what do I say? God said to Moses, I am who I am. Tell them I am sent you. So at the very beginning of Genesis 1, can you imagine, Mo, God... God inspired Moses to write this. Every word we have is from God, but it, come, it came through a human author. And Moses, the truth that God exists, he begins there, the very first words of our Bible, that God exists. In the beginning, God. But not only are we going to learn these seven truths about God in Genesis 1, they are consistent all through redemptive history. So the fact that God has always existed, the fact that God is eternal, in John chapter 8, so fast forward to the New Testament, and Jesus, when he's confronting the Jews, and the Jews are mocking Jesus, the Jews said to Jesus, you are not yet 50 years old, and you've seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. It's amazing. So this truth, in the beginning, God, God uses that truth for Moses. He uses that truth to silence the Jews. And think about this, that God, the, God, the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, God has always existed. He was, he was alone, but he was not lonely. There was perfect unity, perfect relationship between God the Father, Son, and Spirit before the creation of the world. Listen, John 17, 5. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. 
So God is eternal, and he was eternally satisfied. He is also eternally relational. John, that same chapter in John 17, Jesus says, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Do you see how much has taken place before the foundation of the world? Before God even created the heavens and the earth, there is perfect unity, perfect relationship from all eternity. God is eternal. And Moses, in Psalm 90, he cries out, he says, or he writes, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. God exists. So I, I think several decades ago, at least I grew up in what's called, what was called the Bible Belt. And, I, and in fact, I, I hear, you know, used in this area as well. But many, you know, you could go along with the assumption that, that most people would acknowledge that God, God exists. I mean, there, there were those, obviously, there were friends of mine that, a few that did not think that God exist, existed. But for the most part, you could assume that that would, that would be, um, you could go beyond that. But now, it is clear that this, not only is this helpful in the counseling room, that these seven truths about God that we're going to talk about this morning, it's also, they're also helpful for evangelism. Just beginning with God exists, that God exists. So this week, I was curious. I thought, well, let me just do uh, I wasn't doing this test just for the sermon, but I was motivated. By just, I, was, I was curious. And so I began specifically asking the different people that I have a relationship with in Durham and the surrounding. I just began asking, let me, let me ask, can I ask another question? And they said, well, sure. That's, uh, do you, tell me, do you think God exists? Do you believe God exists? Well, you can imagine the different responses, but consistently, overwhelmingly, it was, well, I, I'm not sure. I, 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 I believe in a higher power. There are several higher powers. But I, I don't know. I mean, it might be okay. It's okay for you because I know that you go to church. I know that, that it's okay for you. The, the, starting with God exists is a stumbling block for many in our culture. And so for us, starting there, it's a great place to start. In the beginning, God. In Revelation 1.8, Jesus says, I am the Alpha. The Lord God says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. So from Genesis to Revelation, this truth is important. But let's continue reading in Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So the second truth about God is God creates. It's what he does. God exists, but God creates. Now, we know from Genesis 1, the distinction between God and us is that many of you, you, many of you, I know many of you have just a phenomenal gift of creativity. You're a phenomenal artist and and can, uh, can just produce incredible pieces of art and work. But the difference is that God creates out of nothing. We use, we are created in the image of God, so we do create. But yet we, we use materials, things that God has created, 
and then we can craft those. But God creates out of nothing. Wes shared for the call to worship, Psalm 33, verse 6. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. By his breath, the mouth of by the breath of his mouth, all of their hosts. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. God creates. In, in John, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So for us as believers, it's helpful to think about that God exists and then also God creates. And it's because he is a creator, he is worthy of our worship. In Revelation 4, the scripture says, Worthy are you, are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. So just meditate on the fact that the fact that God creates is, can be a comfort to us. So I mentioned to you that we'll, uh, we'll look at Job just a bit. In Job 38, this is at the end of the book. Like I said, Lord willing, we, we're all looking forward to, to getting there. Andy's get, looking forward to getting there. So I'm just going to steal a little bit of that thunder. We've got weeks before that. So I think we'll, we'll be okay. But listen to, to Job 38. This is the counseling room. This is the, the heavenly counseling room between God and Job. And, and God says of Job, he says, Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? At Job's lowest point, at the point in his life where he needed correction, he needed instruction, God reminded Job that he is creator. And that truth was helpful, and that's what, exactly what Job needed. And so again, I'll go back to the essay, that everything I learned in kindergarten, or everything I learned that's useful for all I needed to know I learned in kindergarten. Listen, we can easily go beyond the fact that, oh yeah, yeah, I know God creates, but let, okay, let's get on to bigger things. No, God uses that truth about himself to instruct and encourage Job. And notice, he doesn't just do this. When we think of God creating, he doesn't just do this for the universe. He doesn't, at the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and then he goes on. He, he is a God that continues to create. Remember when, when uh, Peter uh, was frustrated and he cut off Malchus's ear, what did Jesus do? He, 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 he touched G, uh, Malchus's ear and healed him. Where did that ear come from? God. God created it. Several months ago, uh, we studied when Jesus turned water into wine. God does that. He does it over and over. He, he creates things. But you, one thing I was struck with this last this week, when we're meditating on the fact that God exists, he's eternally existed, and then God creates, let's just consider the fact our salvation rests on every one of these truths that we're going to learn today. It rests on God's, God's eternal existence and that God creates. And I want to uh, remind you of Ephesians chapter 1. So God didn't just begin working when he said, let there be light. God was working in eternity past. And our salvation rests on it because 
Ephesians 1 says, we were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. So God, our salvation rests on the fact that God has always existed. The sacrificial death of Jesus was foreordained before the foundation of the world. And Titus tells us in Titus chapter 1 verse 2 that eternal life was promised before the world. And so denying God's existence, denying God, the fact that God creates is a massive error. Well, notice in Genesis 1, it, not, not only that does God exist, not only does God create, but God communicates. Actually, verse 3, And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. Now again, I've talked about Moses already this morning, but the, the truth that God communicates was was. God confronted Moses with that reminder that God is the one who speaks. In Exodus chapter 4, as Moses is still dealing with the task that God has asked him to do, Moses said to the Lord, Oh Lord, I am not eloquent. Either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, I am slow of speech and of tongue. And notice what God says. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go, and I will be your mouth, and I will teach you what you shall speak. God says, Moses, I will give you the words to say. The truth that God communicates is comforting to us. Later on, Moses said in Deuteronomy, that fact is our life. The the words of God, they are our life. When God communicates, things happen. Everything happens. When God speaks, it comes to pass. And I mentioned our salvation rests on all of these. In Romans 4, 17, Scripture says, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Some of you may say, well, you know, I can't believe. Just pray God speaks into our life the knowledge of Christ. His word precedes reality. He says life and there is life. Let there be light, and there was light. And so the the very fact that God communicates and and calls into existence, Paul picks picks up on this in 2 Corinthians. Paul says, "For for God who said, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So what Paul is doing, he's pulling and says, remember, just Like God said, let there be light and there was light. God speaks into our heart the knowledge of Christ. And so our salvation depends on the fact that God communicates. He's graciously communicating. And Genesis 1 is, you know, Moses and the inspiration of God is just highlighting 
th this fact, highlighting the fact that God communicates and his word is powerful. You know how the, the rhythm of Genesis 1, let me just bring to your attention just briefly. Genesis uh, 1 verse 3, we've already said, and God said, let there be light. And, what's, and what does the scripture say? And there was light. Notice, look at, your, look at verse 6. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And look at the ver end of verse 7. And it was so. Verse 9, and God said this. At the end of verse 9, it was so. Verse 11, God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and the fruit trees bearing fruit, which is in their, their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And guess what? It was so. You have this rhythm of God speaking and then it, it being done. God's word is effective. He communicates to us and it's powerful. His promises will never fail. In Romans 10, 17, the scripture says, says, says that faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So I just praise God that, that all throughout scripture, we can depend on the word of God. His words will not return void. Man should not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the, father, the, the, the Father's mouth. And again, this, this, this sets God apart. God himself reminds us over and over about false idols, and he says they are mute. In Psalm 115, he says, They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes, but they do not see. Our God speaks. Our God communicates and praise God. Our, my salvation and your salvation is grounded in the fact that God communicates. But notice this. He doesn't just, God exists. Not only does God create or communicate, but God also commands. Genesis 1 emphasizes that over and over. Verse 5, as we've had read this morning. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. So the, the fact that God is creator gives him the right, the authority to command. But as we know, we, you know anyone, there's times any one of us can speak a command, and it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be obeyed. I mean, some of some of the older siblings or younger siblings, uh, will, you know, your younger siblings might say something like, hey, I, can, you, uh, can you give me a drink of water? And the older sibling, like, you're crazy. You can get, it, get up and get it yourself. So just because we say words or speak some kind of commanding tone doesn't necessarily mean it will be obeyed. That's not the case with God. God will he, he, will, he demands obedience. He's worthy to obey, be obeyed. And it's happening over and over. His creation obeys. Verse 21 of Genesis chapter 1. Let me just read these two verses, 21 and 22. God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas. 
and let birds multiply on the earth. That command, he spoke that command, and it's, God is it's still being obeyed. Just recently, a friend of mine took me, my daughter and I, backpacking. I'm not a big backpacker, but I learned a lot, and I, I, I loved it. Um, and he was so gracious. We were, uh, we backpacked like 20 miles. I mean, that's big. With a, a 40 pounds on, the, on, on my back, it was just, I was just thrilled to, to be done, but just to accomplish that was great. But there, I was thinking, so this was just last weekend, and I was thinking about this passage, and so one of the things I learned that I think the most challenging thing of backpacking was sleeping. And um, I had a tent, everything, I, I borrowed a lot of stuff, it was great, and, um, but I didn't have a phenomenal night's rest. Um, but if for any of you that have been camping or backpacking, you'll realize that if you're going to get some sleep, you really need to get that done before 5 in the morning because around 5 or 5.05, and I was, I, I did have my watch, I noticed, all of a sudden the birds started to come out. And it was, and I'm not, I noticed it the first morning and I thought, uh, all right, I'm going to, I'm just going to see if, how consistent this is. And it was it started with a, a few birds, and all of a sudden, a symphony, this loud symphony of, I'm, I'm just going to say praise, that God, God commanded the birds to do what they're doing, and they're still doing it. I can testify of that. I thought, I, I thought I knew what birds sounded like in the morning. I learned last weekend. I really know. It was loud, but yet I was humbled by the fact that the rocks cry out to glorify God. The birds are, are, are obeying exactly what God commanded. And then it was, in, because I was saturated with John or Genesis 1 in my mind, it really did lead me to saying, Lord, give me strength to obey you. I want to please you. John 15 this is, this is how our obedience to God's command is actually how we communicate to the world that we love Him. You are my friends if you do what I command. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. It's this joy of obeying God's commands. And think about the most important to, for Nicodemus Jesus shared an incredible command to Nicodemus. When Nicodemus was wondering, how can I be born again? Or what does that mean? Or how can I know you? He says, you must be born again. Jesus gives Nicodemus a command, and it was life-changing. You must be born again. Well, before we leave the truth that God commands and how relevant it is for our life and how and again, think of the counseling room, not only evangelism, but in the counseling room, God reminds Job that he has the right to command, and that is to comfort Job. Job 38 verse 8 says, or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it. And set bars and doors. Listen to this. And said, thus far you shall come and no further. And here shall your proud waves be stayed. Have you commanded the morning 
since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place. So today, later this evening, early in the morning, tomorrow morning, as you're thinking about God, praise God that he has the power and the right to command. And imagine yourself standing in front of like, uh, on the sea, on the sand, looking out at the waves. And then just go and just, you know, looking at the waves. Imagine the ability to say, waves, stop. This far, you're no further. You can, you can come this far, but no further. God does that every moment, every second, everywhere. God is, the, the, the seas are obeying God. So God commands, but notice, he also commissions. No, look at Genesis 1. Now we're going to go deeper into Genesis 1. Look at verse 27. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. But notice, and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, the difference between a command and a commission, it's subtle, but I think it's important for us to consider for a moment. A command, God has the right to do that. It's, direct, it's a directive. It's one-way communication. A commission tends to emphasize the co-laboring, the partnership, the, the, the idea of doing something together. God commissions us to take the glorious gospel to the ends of the earth. God, a command is order-based. A commission is a, a charge to someone with a task of completing it. Commission is giving away some initiative, so the Lord includes us. God includes us in his work. That's what he does. And it's not only in Genesis 1 that God has commissioned us to um, have dominion over the earth, to subdue it and have dominion. He's He's commissioning all through, the redemp- all through the Scripture, all through redemptive history. In Matthew 10, Jesus, uh, the 12, Je- uh, Jesus sent out, instructing us, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. In John 20, Jesus said to them again, peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so, I am sending you. In Romans, in Romans 10, verse 15, and how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And so God in his sovereign plan, he commissions he, can, he sees to it that he, we are ambassadors of Christ. He gives us the responsibility and the privilege of going out into the world and speaking of the glorious name of Jesus Christ. And so I mentioned uh, Genesis 1 is great for discipleship. It's great to take someone that, who's ju- you know, just learning more of God, and it's a great place to start and say, well, let me just teach you about God from Genesis 1. Let me teach you that God has always existed that he creates, that he communicates, that he commands, 
that he, has, that he commissions. You have a responsibility. It's a great place to go for discipleship. But also you get this idea too in Genesis 1 that God commends. How many times do we learn that God is delighted in his work? Notice verse 4. God saw that the light was good. Verse 10. God saw that it was good. Five, six, or seven times in, this Genesis, in Genesis 1, we learn that God saw that it was good. He is a God that commends. He delights in his glory. He delights in his work. And that, the, just meditating on the fact that, the fact that God commends, that's what we want. We long to be commended by God. Notice, though, it's not just in Genesis 1, Matthew 3, God the Father says this about his son, Behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased. On the mountain of transfiguration, God was, uh, he was speaking with them, and behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And so we know the parable as well in Matthew that where this master said to his son, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Our desire is to, 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 be, ple- to be commended, be affirmed by the God of the universe. Paul desired that. He pressed on. He wanted to finish the race well. In Hebrews, the scripture says, without faith, it is impossible possible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So when you think about God, when you think about the fact that, yes, God is satisfied in what he does, he commends. Also think about this, though. In 1 Corinthians 4, 5, there's a joy of receiving that praise from God regarding us. Paul says of, in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 5, Therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring light the things now hidden and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Listen to this. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. How can sinful people, sinful humans, How can we have a relationship with an eternal God that's existed from all eternity, from everlasting to everlasting? It is through His Son, Jesus Christ. As Hebrews said, it's through faith in Jesus Christ that we are approved before God. Later on, in that same chapter in 1 Corinthians 4, it says, For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one who the Lord commends. Love that. It's like we, it's just another, we cannot work to earn God's favor. We cannot say, well, you know, I'm just going to have such a good day today. I'm going to try to please God on, on our own works. It's not, it's not up to us. It's not us but it's the one who the Lord commends. So by the, by the grace 
in the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, we can be commended. We can have, through faith in Jesus Christ, our sins can be covered. And lastly, I want to see one, point out one more thing in Genesis chapter 1. Actually, it's Genesis chapter 2. We're going to take the first couple verses of Genesis 2. Look at Genesis 1, uh, chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all of his work. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So when we think about God, what can, will guard us from thinking too low of thoughts about God? It's realizing that God completes. God finishes his work. Our salvation also rests in the truth that God completes. Paul says, I am sure of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will what? Will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. So God was, he was showing himself that he is a God that not only creates, but he completes his work in Genesis 1. And he keeps that, that attribute, that character all throughout redemptive history. And our salvation does rest on the fact that his work, he completes his work. And so several months ago, I was just overwhelmed with these truths. I was looking at Genesis 1, just captivated with the fact that God creates and he communicates. But then as I continue to read through Genesis 1, just realized, God, you are constantly doing the work that you've done in Genesis 1. You're still doing that today. You're still communicating. You're still creating. You're, you're calling out people from every tribe, nation, and tongue, people to yourself. You're speaking into their heart the knowledge of the glory of Christ. And I remember distinctly the end of that morning just thinking, Lord, thank you for the fact that you're not finished with me. You will complete the work that you've done in me. And so this morning, just pray that God would help you examine your thoughts about God. Are they, as Luther accused Erasmus, are they mere human? Are they just two human thoughts? Are we think, do we think two human thoughts about God? Or are they biblical? Are they grounded with the things that from the very beginning of our scripture, Genesis chapter 1, are they grounded in those truths? And let me just encourage you, though Robert Fulgham had too high, in my estimation, too high a view of man. Listen, we can never have too high a view of God. And the things that we learn in Genesis 1 will be instrumental for us for all eternity. We will praise God for these very works of God that he showed us in Genesis 1. So let's just thank God for that and pray that God would give us the delight to share that with others. Father, you are an amazing God. And Lord, my prayer is that for all of us, that you will take these truths of Genesis 1, what, what so often we, we look at as, oh, for, just so familiar. So, oh, yeah, I know that. 
Oh, I know that God creates. That's great. But Father, I pray that by the power of your Spirit, you will, you will just stop us and allow us to meditate and embrace and genuinely love the truths that we learn about you in Genesis 1. Lord, by the grace of God, we will be praising you for all eternity on the fact that you do these things. And so, Lord, today we ask that you would just help us have a greater view of you. Help us to have thoughts that are worthy of you. Lord, I pray that they would be biblical. And Father, my prayer also is for any of us, Lord, that don't know you, we just ask that you would be gracious and that you would speak in their hearts the knowledge of Christ. Lord, give us a delight and joy and equip us to share the love of Christ with others this week and every week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.